Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we begin a brand new series called The Impact of the Bible. So turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 27, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, The Bible and Culture. Ben Lowell, CEO of Back to the Bible, and I, we were talking. Because we're coming to the end of our fiscal year, we wondered whether it might be a good idea to talk about the significance of having a daily Bible teaching program called Back to the Bible. I mean, for the many of you who have invested into this program, and some of you have invested sacrificially, are you using your money wisely? Well, I want to answer that because whenever you give to Back to the Bible Canada, you're buying airtime to make sure that verse-by-verse Bible teaching can be heard in over 20 countries in the world. And furthermore, during my time as Bible teacher, I'm aware that we've used two different taglines. The first was simply, we teach the Bible, and the second was Bible teaching you can trust. Well, that's because whether it's done by me or one of my predecessors who have occupied this mic, we thought there's no greater accomplishment than to faithfully teach the Bible, explaining it in a manner that comports to its original meaning and on the basis of the true intent of any text than to faithfully apply that text to our own lives. So why do we teach the Bible? Well, I have at another time spoken of issues like the authority of the Bible, arguing that it really is the Word of God. In every way, that ought to be enough. God has spoken in the pages of Scripture. But I've decided that it's also important to speak to the issue of, so what? But why is it necessary to teach the Bible? So what if I, as a Bible teacher, give the intended meaning of Scripture? What are we to say to the person who says, you know, it's just not my thing? I mean, you've got your religion, I've got mine, or you're religious and I'm not. I mean, the Bible just isn't relevant for me. I mean, perhaps it is for you, and and that's fine. So I want for one week to give some reasoned answers as to why every single person, religious or not, should care about the Bible. And today, here's my first answer. Those cultures that have had the Bible and have been influenced by the Bible are greatly advantaged over those cultures that have not. And furthermore, I'm going to argue that those cultures that forget the Bible slowly lose the advantages that they have gained. So let me suggest several advantages that come to any culture whenever they have access to the Bible and whenever the entire culture is biblically literate. Number one, those cultures that are taught by the Bible learn the value of the dignity of each person. And those cultures that don't have the Bible see human life devalued and degraded. Now, before I dive right in and explain why that's always the case, let me answer two objections that the critic might raise. The first is that there have been throughout history a great many violations of human rights that have directly risen out of the Christian church. And yes, that is so. Nowhere is that seen more clearly than in the Middle Ages, where the church persecuted non-Christians, subjecting them to the Inquisition and the armies of the Crusaders. Well, fair enough, I concur. Although if the critic cares to think about it, the Middle Ages was hardly a time of biblical literacy. Indeed, almost all Europe was overwhelmingly ignorant of the Bible. The church kept the Bible from the people. Yeah, people were quite aware of the power of the church, but not the power of the Word of God. 
You see, wherever the church, in her quest to gain power of influence, supplants the Scripture, we're in as much darkness as we are in a secular state in its quest for power, and it also supplants the Scripture. And the second objection that might be raised is that there have been cultures that have not had the Scriptures and that have raised the specter of human rights. Indeed, some might even argue that that is true in our contemporary secular culture, especially in countries like, well, Canada and Western Europe. So let me acknowledge that I'm aware of this objection and that I'll answer it in the end. But for now, let me jump right in and explain what the Bible teaches about human dignity. The Bible is the story of the one and only God who alone is the creator, not just of all things, but of all human beings. And furthermore... The Bible states that of all things that were created, it is the creation of human beings that's unique and distinct and has greater value than all other things that God has made. And the book of Genesis records the days of God's creation when after each day of creation, God would end that day by announcing that it was good. But when he creates the man and the woman, he announces it's very good. Indeed, with each thing that God creates, the Bible says that God merely speaks and it comes into being. But with the creation of the man and the woman, well, it sounds so different, doesn't it? Genesis 2 verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Well, the Hebrew word for breathed and breath comes from a word that can also be translated as spirit. That is, God breathed something of himself into the man. And so of all creatures, it is human beings alone that have the breath of God, that have a part of us that we might even speak of as a spark of the divine. So compare that passage with Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So it's called the image of God. That doesn't mean that human beings physically look like God. The Bible's very clear. God is spirit and that we are flesh, but rather There are certain traits within each person that are a direct reflection of our Creator. And this teaching that every human being is made in the image of God is also reflected in the Psalms. Psalm 8, 3 to 5 says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Now listen to the words of C.S. Lewis as he reflects on the implications of the teaching of the image of God in all people. Here's what he says. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption, end quote. (laughs) To be clear, 
When we're talking about the biblical insight of the value of each person, we must also talk about the fall into sin, our depravity, our estrangement from God. But make no mistake about it. Even though the image of God has become marred, yet it remains. We still are in his image, every one of us, and that's my point. When the teaching of the image of God in all humanity is taken seriously and fully explained, when the Bible is heard as to the value of all human beings and is applied, society is transformed. There are no worthless people. There are none that can be discarded. The worth of each individual is not what they can do for society or in how much they contribute. Their worth is in their creation. It's in the image of God. Civilizations that learn this value human life and seek to ensure that all human life is valued. Doesn't mean that evildoers won't find justice, you know, that we have some kind of a sloppy, rose-colored view of everyone, but even the murderer is in the image of God and as such is held accountable precisely because he is in the image of God. Human rights can only be defended with such a theological and philosophical background. Take away the confidence that we're in the image of God and you undercut the value of human life. Indeed, only the Bible of all the holy books insists on the image of God in all humanity. Now then, someone might say, but here I've got you. Secular cultures, especially those that no longer pay attention to the Bible, still have in their constitution codes of rights for all human beings. Yeah. That's especially strong for those cultures that have a living memory of the Bible. But when the memory fades, human rights fade as well. I mean, consider our culture. We abort millions of unborn babies and call it a choice. And so the unborn baby is never considered to be created in the image of God. And if someone chooses that such a child should not live, well then, says our culture, it means nothing. It's just a choice. Like, shall I choose chocolate or vanilla ice cream? It's just up to me. And the next step our culture has taken is the end of life when it's suffering. I mean, after all, what value can there be if we're suffering? Well then, how about the depressed? Maybe we should end their lives as well. And what of those who cost the healthcare system too much? And what of the mentally handicapped? On and on we go. Why pay attention to the Bible? Because it's the only book that can ensure that human life will always remain precious. June is back to the Bible Canada's fiscal year end. As such, it's a crucial month for the ministry financially. Despite the financial impact of the last couple of years, Back to the Bible Canada has still been able to provide sound Bible teaching and engagement resources and even produce new ministry resources thanks to the loyal support of our listeners. This year, our fiscal year end target is $409,000. And to help us reach that, Several generous ministry supporters have graciously offered to match your donations this month up to $100,000. That means your gift has double the impact. We'd be so grateful if you might consider helping us achieve our financial target this fiscal year end. To make your gift today or for more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. The late Francis Schaeffer said it well. People are trying to hang on to the dignity of man, but they do not know how to because they have lost the truth that man is made in the image of God. 
We're watching our culture put into effect the fact that when you tell men long enough that they're machines, it soon begins to show in their actions, end quote. Indeed, tell human beings that they're simply the product of evolution, mere time plus random chance, and watch them lose their sense of meaning. As Andrew Claven has so aptly put it, they think they're no more than meat and a chemistry set. And if that's it, watch meaninglessness flourish. And out of that, watch the fascination for the macabre and violence and fantasy. That's all they've got left to live for. That's why we teach the Bible. We believe and know that the Bible is the only document the human race has that gives value to human life. Now, there's the first point. Those cultures that have the Bible taught to them and who are aware of the Bible are greatly advantaged over those cultures that don't have it. They have a value for human life and a real objective reason to value it. Now, consider the second reason why the Bible gives any culture an advantage over those cultures that don't have it. And as I say it, I can almost hear the objections. It's just not so, but hear me out. The Bible builds a case for concepts such as truth, and it gives foundation stones for objectivity. That is, the Bible makes a case that truth can be known, and that forms the basis of a great many good things that we enjoy, and that includes modern science. I think the Bible gives a foundation for modern science. Again, listen to the objection. Aren't a great many Bible believers the most unscientific people out there? Well, yeah, some cases that is true. It's undeniable. But it's also undeniable that there are some Christians that favor subjectivity. That is, they favor personal experience over what is objectively true. But as I've said, I'm building a case for the Bible, not for what some well-meaning Christians believe. Of course, all Christians believe in subjectivity. Yeah, we experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. We experience the love of God. We experience God's kind providence in all events. But these experiences, these intimate encounters with God and his goodness are based upon real objective truths. God has revealed himself in history. We know that God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son. See, the objective truth leads the way. And on the basis of that, we experience, we encounter, and we love. And therefore, consider also this truth. Modern science, with its emphasis on objective observation of nature, including the natural causes for phenomena, arose out of a Judeo-Christian worldview that was founded upon the Bible. And why is that? Well, let me offer three reasons. The first is that the personal God we find in the Bible is not identified with nature. Instead, God is the creator of nature. Nature isn't God. God is God. Second, God who created all physical matter is not fickle, like the gods and goddesses of the Greek and Roman pantheon. I mean, those gods would change their minds and at times act on a whim or out of jealousy, even out of revenge. In contrast, the God of the Bible is faithful. Malachi 3 verse 6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. That is, God's not fickle at all. He never changes. In many ways, he's predictable. He only does what's just and right. He's also put laws into place that he will not alter, nor will he violate them. John said it very well, 1 John 1 verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That's the key. 
John's speaking about moral light as opposed to moral darkness. God never sins, never. God never acts deceitfully, never. God never pulls the wool over unsuspecting human beings, never. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. And so God is in some ways predictable, reliable, to be counted on. When he promises, he always acts in accordance with his promises. And this consistency in God is then also found in the creation he has made. For why would God create something that acts contrary to his own character? He would not. Psalm 19 verse 1 is very clear. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And here's my point. A theological system in which the gods are either fickle or compete with each other and trick each other, well, that provides no philosophical foundation for science. You see, in this system, we can't expect nature to act predictably or reliably. And furthermore, if one's philosophical system is pantheism, in which everything is believed to be an emanation of God, well, in that case, all of nature is magical and it can't exist outside of God. In in such a world, we would expect the spirit of the moon and the rivers and the trees and nature would be seen in spiritual terms. Again, that's not a foundation for objective analysis of the mechanisms of how nature works. But the God of the Bible, as I've said, is the God of truth, of light, of righteousness, and the God whose character and his purposes never change. And furthermore, Titus 1.3 says that God never lies. He never deceives. This is the basis for what philosophers call epistemology. You know, epistemology asks the question of how we know what we know. And on a practical level, how do we know that we can trust our senses? How do we know that that my eyes combined with the nerve firings in my brain correspond to the world that's out there. And the biblical answer is that God never lies. He never deceives. He never plays tricks on the crown of his creation. God is altogether truthful. And since the world he created is a declaration of his attributes, we then expect that the world would operate according to observable and predictable patterns. That's the basis for modern science, and that also explains why most of the founders of modern science were avid Bible readers. Yes, they were. The modern scientific movement is based upon a biblical worldview. It was the teachings of the Bible that gave rise to that approach to the natural world. Now, the critic might say, well, isn't it also true that even though the Bible gave you know, rise to science— It's also true that a great many contemporary, brilliant, modern scientists pay no attention to the Bible at all. Well, yeah, that is true. And we expect that, for all people are in the image of God. I mean, once the Bible lays the foundation for thinking and for observation, well, we shouldn't be surprised that just such a foundation allows many others to use that foundation to carry on their own work. Now, several more things about the objective view, the idea that truth can be known, that God has created us to know truth. It's precisely that view that allows historians to study history. You know, I've been to Israel on many occasions, and I'm fascinated at the archaeological digs that I've seen, as well as some of the results of that research. You know, it's not just that the Dead Sea Scrolls give us a breathtaking view of the historical reliability of our Bible, but there's more. 
I remember years ago being told that when the New Testament speaks of Jesus preaching in the synagogues, that must be a fantasy because the emergence of synagogues only occurred after the time of Jesus. And then in 2009 came a remarkable discovery. Archaeologists working in Magdala, that's the town where Mary Magdalene was from, well, they found remains of a synagogue that predated Jesus. And I mention that because not only does the Bible give us the foundation for objectivity, but that very foundation allows us now to turn around and ask, well, is the Bible itself an objectively true book? And the answer is yes, it is, especially in one area, the overwhelming archaeological evidence for it. Now, let's take it one step further. What happens to a culture like ours when it forgets the Bible? Well, the answer is objectivity starts to die. Right now, I'm hearing more and more voices claiming that we're now living in a post-truth era. We now hear people talking about their truth as opposed to the truth. The belief behind that is that subjectivity is all that we have. I mean, who's to say what's true? And out of this darkness then comes, you know, some of the sexual politic of our day. For instance, you know, I may be a man, but I feel like I'm a woman. And we might respond by saying, yet, but objectively, you have XY chromosomes. But our culture now prefers subjective feelings over objective reality. And where does that lead? You know, if feelings are given priority over truth, we're again launched into the kind of darkness in which truth is eclipsed. And all of life is not about what's true, but it's about who has the power to allow their voices to be heard. Now, there's so much more we can say about the impact of the Bible on any culture that hears it. I've hardly scratched the surface, but let me say this. The Bible provides a framework, not just for human lives, but for entire civilizations. Thanks so much, John. You know, I think we often think about the Bible and how it impacts my life specifically, but not as often do we think about how the Bible impacts our entire culture. Yeah, we're not wrong in, you know, asking the individual questions and the questions about our church and our faith and all those things, of course. We're sola scriptura people. The Bible alone has the authority to speak to all matters regarding uh, faith and, uh, and the nature of our faith. However, and, and this is so important to recognize, the Bible itself has been a huge driver in the development of culture. And those cultures that have been under the teaching of the Bible have been greatly benefited, even if people within that culture don't believe. That's amazing. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Impact of the Bible, right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. Back to the Bible Canada. It's our hope that your walk with Christ would be strengthened and encouraged through the wide variety of resources made available through so many different mediums to ensure Bible teaching you can trust is freely accessible to those who desire to know the Bible and our Lord more deeply. One listener wrote, It is a joy to listen to Dr. Newfeld and the staff of Back to the Bible Canada as they faithfully teach the Bible daily. It's a real blessing to hear the word daily for encouragement and exhortation. If you feel blessed by this ministry, can we ask you to help us reach our fiscal year-end goal of $409,000? This year, a few friends of the ministry have offered to match your gift dollar for dollar up to $100,000 to make this campaign a success. 
To make your gift, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.